welcome them to the church so you can turn around and say hi to whoever's sitting next to you and uh, make sure you have your Bibles, run and get your Bibles. Maybe if you have a family Bible sitting on the coffee table, brush it off, pull it out, bring it out, open it up if you would to the book of Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. We're currently teaching through the book of Colossians, but I thought we would take a break, seeing with all this stuff going on, that we would take a break and we would uh, take a special look at the book of Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, with the title of my message, Should I Be Worried? Let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 6, the Apostle Paul writing, and he says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord, for wherever we are, Lord, we are able to get together, open up your word, and know, God, that you will speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here and being able to show us what we need to do, Lord, as we look to your word. Thank you for the peace that you give us as we turn to you. And Father, I do pray if there's anyone listening that is yet to uh, know you as their Lord and as their Savior. They're not born again. They, they've not repented of their sin. They're not saved. Lord, would you especially speak to their heart this morning. Show them their need for you and they would turn to you today. So we thank you for our time. We ask that you would bless it. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The story I found of a salesman who was driving on a lonely country road one dark rainy night and long before the times of cell phones and he had a flat tire. He gets out of the car and he, he looks in his trunk but there's no lug wrench. So he looked in the glove box. He looked under, under the hood. No wrench anywhere. Man, he thought, I've got to get to that meeting in the morning or else it's over. So he started walking down this country road in the pouring rain and, and towards a dimly lit farmhouse. He thought for sure the farmer would have a lug wrench that, that he could borrow. Of course, he thought it's late at night. The farmer would be asleep in his warm, dry bed. Maybe he wouldn't even answer the door. And even if he did, he'd probably be angry because I woke him up in the middle of the night. And the salesman, you know, picking his way, blinding the dark, stumbled on. And now his shoes were wet. His clothes are wet. He was soaking wet. He continued to think, well, even if that farmer does answer my knock on his door, he's probably going to say something like, what's the big idea You're waking me up at this hour? Well, that thought made the salesman very angry. What right did that farmer have to refuse him a lug wrench? I mean, after all, he's, he's stranded in the middle of nowhere, soaked in the skin. The, the farmer was a, a selfish dog, no doubt about that. Salesman finally reached the house and banged loudly on the door. A light went on in the inside and a window opened above. A voice called out, Who is it? His face, white with anger, the salesman called out, You know very well who it is. It's me. And you can keep your blasted lug wrench. I wouldn't borrow it now if it was the last one on the earth. <laughs> I thought it was funny. We get worried over the simplest things and we in our own minds allow it to build and build and build to the point where we too can respond angrily. We can respond hastily because we didn't trust in the Lord's provision. We th start thinking about it. We start wrestling with it and wondering how this is ever going to soon. 
you're angry, you're, you're you know, angry with your wife, you're angry with, with the kids, you, you know, you, you can't see the Lord's provision even if it was attached to your eyeballs. And that's a problem that many people face today. But that's why God has given us His Word. And so as we look at these two verses this morning, and as we slowly unpack them thought by thought, let these truths sink deep down into our hearts to calm our hearts and calm our minds during these troublesome times. A couple of preliminary words about these truths. Number one, they are not simplistic. Okay, It's not like, well, you know, the old song, don't worry, be happy. Rather, they're very profound. Though in one sense, it's simple because God's, God is not complicated. Number two, it's needful. I've met many people who live in verse 6 but never make it down to verse 7. Number three, it's radical. If you can make it from verse 6 to 7, it can radically change your outlook and change your life. Let me ask you this morning, how is the stress in your life today? Is there worry? Is there anxiety? Well, within these verses, we see the cure to worry. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you're taking notes, we're going to see three things. We're going to see, number one, the problem. Number two, the prescription. And number three, the promise. Number one, the problem. Someone once said, don't worry about the world coming to an end today. It's already tomorrow in Australia. What price would you pay for a peace of mind? What price would you pay to to be free from worry? The problem is today we are in an epidemic, uh, of, of, a grip of uh, epidemic of worry, but it's not the, the COVID-19 epidemic. It, it is the epidemic of worry. We are living in worrisome times. Earthquakes in Utah, plagues of locusts in Africa, staying indoors because of this virus. Yet here is the great Apostle Paul saying to the Christian this morning in verse 6, be anxious for nothing. But what does Paul know? I mean, he wasn't dealing with a global epidemic. He was probably kicking back in some Mediterranean beach. Not exactly. He was incarcerated. He was under house arrest because he had appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen. And he was waiting uh, his time where he would have his moment with the leader of Rome. Now, he didn't know what was going to happen. He might be beheaded tomorrow. He didn't know what his future was going to be. And then to make matters worse, some of the believers were against Paul and they're criticizing Paul. Others were for, for Paul. So here is Paul in this difficult situation. He's trapped in this prison cell under house arrest. He doesn't know what his future is going to bring. And what does he say? Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. So if we think that Paul simply couldn't understand the stress and the worries we face today, then we're sadly mistaken. Paul understood the realities of life and the things that we all face from day to day quite well. In fact, the word that is used here for anxious in verse 6 means to be pulled in different directions. And that's what happens when we worry, you know, with worry is our hopes pulled in one direction and our fears pulled in the other direction. That word worry also has an interesting definition. It comes from an old word that means to strangle or to choke. That's exactly what worry does and anxiety does it pulls you in different directions it creates this emotional and mental stranglehold in your life it certainly doesn't make things any better in fact for all practical purposes worry makes things worse modern 
uh, medical research has proven that worry actually breaks down your resistance to disease and it actually causes uh, disease in the nervous system, specifically in the digestive organs and the heart. Researchers have revealed that 79 to 90% of all visits to primary care physicians are stress-related complaints. Charles Mayo, the founder of the famed Mayo Clinic, said he never knew anyone who died of overwork, but he knew many who died of worry. He said, quote, you can worry yourself to death, but you'll never worry yourself to a longer life. Now, what is interesting is what we worry about. According to a Time Magazine article, we actually worry about the wrong things. For instance, we often worry about flying. Some people have a, a fear of flying. But according to this article, there are more people that die from other things than from flying. For instance, in 2014, 492 people died from flying. And that this article states that 600 Americans die each year from falling out of their beds. And then there's the, the fatal plunge down the stairs, or there's that bite of sausage that gets lodged in your throat, or that tumble on that slippery sidewalk as you leave your house. So basically, if we don't fly, if we don't eat, if we don't sleep in a bed, if we don't go downstairs or walk on the sidewalk when it's raining, we're good to go, right? We are a nation that's filled with anxiety, filled with worry. Time Magazine did another survey on the effect of watching the news, and this is what they found. More than a half of Americans say the news caused them stress, and many report feeling anxiety, fatigue, or sleep loss as a result, the survey shows. Yet one in ten adults check the news hours news every hour, and fully 20% of Americans report constantly monitoring their social media feeds, which often exposes them to the latest news headlines, whether they like it or not. And then there are those personal worries we place ourselves in. We're concerned about our health. We're concerned about our family. We're concerned about our future. In fact, another poll was done and people were asked what they worried about the most. Out of the 2,000 people polled, what do you think made the, the, the top of the list that people worry about the most? You think, well, a flood, threat of nuclear war or the threat of losing their health? No. Whether or not you're attractive made the list. So worrying about your physique. But the number one fear that people had in the world today when this poll was taken was getting old in general. So I can get nuked, I can get you know, sick, but, but how do I look in this outfit? And, and do I look old to you? You know, Jesus had something to say when we worry for things like that in Matthew 6.25. He said this, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So the Lord tells each of us today, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you wear, your clothes, and, and don't worry about life. Now, let me say this. Jesus wasn't saying that we shouldn't think about or be concerned with the needs of, of this like food or clothing. Jesus didn't say don't think about food, don't concern yourself with clothing. No, he said don't worry about these things. Yes, concern yourself with them, absolutely. You need to think about a roof over your head and clothes and on your back and food in your stomach. That's important and that's something we all need to consider. So Jesus is not saying don't think about these things. What he is saying is don't be obsessed with these things. Don't have anxiety about these things. Why? Well, because worrying doesn't make things any better. In fact, it makes things worse. It's a worthless 
activity. It's like, like in a rocking chair. You're always moving, but you're never getting anywhere. So don't panic. Don't react out of fear. So often, that's our first reaction in situations like these. What are we going to eat? Let, let's rush to the store. Let, let's rush to the store because we're worried there won't be any toilet paper left. We have a friend that lives in Kansas City who let, who let my son Joey know that he's out of toilet paper. But he said to Joey, you know, it seems that ever since I've run out of TP, I felt I've had to go to the bathroom way more often. And it's probably true. So you run to the store and you spend all this money on food because there may never be food again available for us. And so you get all the TP you can. You bought all the hand sanitizer you could. You got all the Clorox wipes you can find. Every mask there is. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these things. I'm saying it's wrong to hoard these things. So then you begin to crawl in bed at night and, 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 and now you're worried because Pastor Tom said 600 Americans die each year from falling out of their beds. So you turn on your TV and, and, and to take your mind off of that and, and, and they're still talking about this virus on TV, how it begins with a dry cough and suddenly you feel like you have a dry cough. And, and, and then it says it starts with a fever and you go, honey, do I feel hot to you? And then it says your stomach starts to hurt and you realize all 300 rolls of TP you just bought are still in the trunk of your car. And now you're lying in bed going, I'm probably not going to make it through the night. I know that I have this virus. And you lay in bed and you toss and you turn and you toss and you turn till finally your husband wakes up and turns to you and says, what are you doing? And you say, well, I'm planning my funeral. What? You're not even sick. Yeah, I was just thinking, who will you marry uh, once I'm gone? Guys, if your wife ever says that to you, the safe answer is no one. But you're not thinking. You're worrying. And you're not sleeping. And tomorrow you're going to wake up, but you'll have that look that says, I need two or three cups of coffee because I only got three hours of sleep. And then you drink the coffee. Now that starts the caffeine anxiety. Listen, we need to ease up. We need to relax. That's what Jesus said. Ease up, sort of. Listen to what he said in Matthew 6, verse 26 through 28. He says this. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. They neither neither toil nor spin. Think about it. Have you ever seen a sparrow sweat? You know, we used to have a bird feeder in our backyard and, and all the times that I've seen birds come in and out from that feeder, I've not once seen one fly up, eat a little, and then stash them under his wings for later. And then kind of take off flying a little crooked because they have this food under their wings and, and the sweat is dripping down from their beak. I've never heard of one of them, you know, you know worrying about making their rent payment on their, their nests. Or think of the grass, the lilies of the field, Jesus says. Do they toil over blooming? Gotta bloom, gotta bloom, gotta bloom. I don't know if I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I gotta bloom. No, God says ease up. And he goes on in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30 and 31. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. 
what he is saying is the Gentiles are the ones that don't know God. People who don't know God should be filled with worry. People who don't know God are filled with tension. But the people who do know God, those who know that He is the perfect provider, the perfect protector, that He is God on high, sitting on His throne in control, those people are the ones that have nothing to worry about. One study done on worry that came up, came up with these figures. 40% of the things that people worry about never happen. 30% of the worries are related to past matters which are now beyond the patient's control. 12% have to do with anxiety about health, even though there is no illness except in the imagination. 10% is worry about friends or neighbors, even in most cases there are no reason for, for that anxiety. Just 8% of the worries seem to have some basis in reality. What that is saying is 90% of the worries that we worry about never happen. One poet from the 1800s wrote some very accurate words to describe this. He writes, Some of your hurts you have curred, and the sharpest you still have survived, but what torment of grief you've endured from hurts that have never arrived. Most things that make us sigh and fret are the things that haven't happened yet. How true that is. I read a story of a fable, really, that's been told over the years that deals with the problem of worry. It's the story of a man who came face to face with the dangers of worry. One day he saw death walking into his town. So the man approached death and said, What are you here to do? Death replied, I have come today to take 100 people. So the man ran ahead, ran ahead of death and warned everybody about what was coming. And then when the day had come to an end, a thousand people had died. And the man said to death, I thought you were only going to take a hundred, but a thousand people died. Death said, I only took a hundred. The other nine hundred were taken by worry. And that's how often worry works. In fact, you could put this on a tombstone of many Americans today. Hurried, worried, and buried. So you say, okay, Pastor Tom, I know that I'm not supposed to worry. I get that, but how? And really, it's one thing to know why you shouldn't worry. It's another thing to know how not to worry. And that brings us to point number two, the prescription. Look again at verse 6. Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Be anxious, anxious for nothing also means don't be distracted. Don't be divided. You've heard the phrase, I want your undivided attention. That's what the Lord desires from us. I want your undivided attention. Instead of worrying, you need uh, these four things you need to be doing. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and requests. The first thing we read as far as prescriptions go, Paul says, instead of being anxious or worried, pray. So the next time you're worried, pray instead. Let me repeat that. The next time you're worried, Pray instead. Let me repeat that again. The next time you're tempted to worry, pray. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Listen, we need to get into the habit of turning to God whenever we feel worry approaching so that our reaction in times of trouble will be a conditioned reflex. Now, a normal reflex is different than a conditioned reflex. A normal reflex comes naturally. For instance, if you touch a, a hot iron, you're going to put your hand on quickly. You're going to move it away because it's hot. A child will do that. They, they don't know at first, but they quickly realize. It's like the guy who went to the doctor who had two severely burned ears, and the doctor said, what happened to you? 
He says, I was ironed and I got preoccupied because the phone rang and I answered the iron instead of the phone. Well, that explains your right ear. What happened to your left ear? Well, they called back. So, a normal reflex comes naturally. You touch something hot, you know, you pull back. But a conditioned reflex is something you learn. You teach yourself to do it. For instance, through repetition, you find yourself doing it naturally. When the Star Spangled Banner is played, you stand up. You know, we all stand up. My son, Matthew, who's a Marine, when the Marine hears that playing of the Marine's hymn, he will stand at attention and, and, and face a flag if a flag is there, but he'll, he'll, he'll stand with that music when they play the Marine hymn. My son, Joey, was FaceTiming Matt the other day and, and started playing the Marine Corps anthem on his guitar and Matt was in his bunk and immediately he jumped out of his bunk, stood at attention and his roommate did the same thing. I thought it was pretty funny. It's a conditioned reflex. Now let's apply the same principle to fear and worry. Our natural tendency when things worry us is not to pray, it's to worry. Something happens, oh no. And we go through these scenarios like I was talking about that just start stacking up like dominoes in our mind. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I get this virus? What if my kids get it? What if my parents get it? But here's what we need to teach ourselves to do. Natural reflex is to worry. Conditioned reflex is to pray. Now, it's not what you naturally want to do. Bad news comes on the phone. What do you do? Uh, you know, stop. Gather your family together. Say, let's pray. This is what you do. You just pray right there in the moment. That's what we're being taught here in Scriptures. Oftentimes, when we face adversity, our first instinct is to turn to people for help. And, and, and God can work through people. He can provide through family and friends and help us, no question. But ultimately, we need to turn to God first when trouble comes. So pray. Pray first. It's not a, a new truth, truth to many of us uh, that prayer is a great comfort in an easy time and a mighty warrior against worry. But I'm, con- uh, I'm convinced that we are confused about the way prayer actually works for us in such stressful and difficult days. See, when Paul calls us to pray, does that mean that when we pray, all the things that we worry about are all going to be straightened out for us and that all of our troubles are going to go away and the sun's going to shine and it's all going to be great? Not necessarily. During World War II, an army chaplain wrote an article on prayer that really should do away with that kind of thinking. And it really hits home. This article was called, Some Pray and Some Die. Let me read it to you and I quote. Is there such a thing as getting the breaks in prayer? What about the fellow who prays regularly but get killed regularly? I wish people would stop writing about the soldiers who pray and have their prayers answered by not getting killed. Why do all the other soldiers seem to get the wrong answer? What I want to know is this, what sort of extra special superpowered prayer is needed to make everything turn out the way you want it? That sounds fictitious, almost irreverent, but I'm really serious. I really want to know, I am an army chaplain and I could use some special prayers with my men and heaven knows we need them badly at times. Because the fact is there are always more men who pray to come back than there are men who get back. Quite a lot more. What is the deciding factor? And he goes on to say this, The thing for all of us to remember is that someone else does the answering. What you have in mind may not be what God has in mind. If you ask Him something, you must be willing to take what He gives. That is why I am a bit depressed by the writings of those who try to get other people to pray by telling them that you get what you want. People must must learn to want what they get. When I talk to soldiers about prayer, I try to tell them that they must be adults. God expects us to be men. 
Only children demand a happy ending to every story. How old must we be before we begin to realize that even prayer can't get us everything we want unless the thing we want is right for us to have? Who gets the breaks in prayers? Nobody. There's no such thing. We get what God in His infinite love and foreknowledge sees fit to give. That's not always the same as getting what we want, but it ought to be. End quote. So then if prayer does not always change our situation so that it no longer worries us, then what is the value of praying? Here's the answer. Prayer does not always change the situation and make it better, but prayer always changes us. Prayer always makes us better. Notice in verse 6 that the word for prayer also is the word for adoration, devotion, and intercession. It's worship. So instead of worry, we need to worship. Prayer is worship. It's worship. And that's how we begin. That's why it says with prayer and supplication. Supplication is the petition part. So instead of worrying, we need to worship. Why? Because what happens when you worship? When you worship, suddenly our God is magnified. He is lifted up. And you begin to contemplate His greatness and His power. And our worries get smaller and smaller. I mean, think about your prayers. We pray, Lord, would you provide for this and provide for that? And there's nothing wrong with asking for His provision. But how about starting out with worship? Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with quick prayers either. Getting to the point quickly, especially if like the earlier point I made, you're, you're falling down the stairs or falling out of your bed or choking on a piece of sausage. Skip the formalities. Let's go for it. Let's pray. But the idea here is to contemplate the greatness of God. To worship Him first. Why do we do that? Because it puts our problems in perspective. Listen to this. Big God, small problems. Big problems, small God. See, if I seek God in all His glory, I will see my problems in their proper perspective. It's not that your problems aren't serious. It's just that your God is greater. And if I see that, then it will change the way that I pray. So, I might pray, Lord, I just want to praise you for your power and your love and your goodness. Lord, I thank you that you are in control of my life and that you have not forgotten me. You have not abandoned me. And now, Lord, I bring this need to you. So, it kind of gives you a little solid theology before you even really get into prayer. Oswald Chambers, in his devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, asked this question. Are you obsessed by something? He says, we are to be obsessed only by the presence of God. If I'm obsessed by something, I will be thinking of it all the time throughout the day and into the night. I'll even dream about it. Now, if we're so conscious of God's presence all the time, nothing else can get into my life, not worries, not concerns. In other words, as I spend time in the presence of the Lord, He's gotten very, very big. And as I worship, I know that He's an awesome God. I know that He's all-powerful. And that He's able to do anything and everything if He so desires and then I come before Him as I worship Him. I bring them my supplication because He does say, make your, make your request known to Him, to me. But understand, it is a request. Paul doesn't say, then make your demands known to God. No, it's a master-servant relationship. You're the servant. He's the master. You don't demand anything from God. All oh, your word says it, so you have to do it. Be careful. It, it's a request. And according to verse 6, it's with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving just reflects the humble heart that we should all have. Just asking the request. It, it just, it, 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 it demonstrates a person's submissive heart because in all prayer we need to be thankful. 
Certainly Paul set the example there. His, his heart was always bursting forth with thankful praise. He taught the Ephesians church that the result of the spiritual life is a thankful heart. Ephesians 5, 18 and 20. Be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One more thing about the prescription for worry before we move on to our final point. In this time of uncertainty, we as the church are called to be a light to this dark world. And we have the greatest opportunity as believers to point people to Jesus Christ. To share our faith. To speak out about how great our God is. People are looking for answers. And I know that for many of us, when it comes to sharing our faith, we, we doing what God's called us to do, that brings its own set of worries. It seems like we can talk about anything to anybody else, but when it comes to sharing our faith and talking to someone about Christ, it's like our, 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 our tongue gets twice the size as it normally is in our mouth, and, and it feels like all we can say is just all oh, garble. Maybe you've decided to share your faith with someone, your neighbor, or someone you ran into the store and looking for some TP, and, and you're standing there. And the person's going, man, I don't know this virus thing, what's going on in this world. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, man, I, I wish someone knew what, what, what the story is. I, I don't know what's going on. And you're standing there and the Lord's going, you need to share with them the hope. You need to share with them my son Jesus. You need to tell them they can be saved. You, you can tell them their life can be different. And then you go, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. What, how do I start? I, I, I worried. What, what do I say? What if I say, do you know Jesus? And we go, oh, okay, that, that sounds a little too corny. I know, I'll say, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? No, that, that'll freak people out. No, 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 okay, okay. How about this? Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? No, that sounds too religious. <laughs> Listen, don't worry about stuff like that. In fact, Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 18. He said this, he says, You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak for. It is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. The Father will speak in you and through you. Don't worry about it. Take that step of faith and share with those around us. God is in you. Not only has God provided a way for you not to worry, but He provides a word for you to say when you're questioned about your faith. This is what Jesus is saying here in John 10. Don't you know that my spirit is inside of you? I will show you what to say, when you need to say it. I'm also outside as well, and I'm providing what you need to do and what I've called you to do. So don't worry, it's under control. So number one, the problem, we worry. Number two, the prescription, pray, worship, praise, and thank Him. Make prayer become second nature to you, a conditioned response. And finally, number three, our final point, the promise. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul is saying there is a promise of peace, the peace of God that most people could never even begin to understand, but you can know it and you can experience it. It's a peace that comes from God in situations where it's unexplainable uh, how you can have peace in it. It's a peace during this time of pandemic, during this time of fear and worry. And you hear about this threat of this virus growing, but you've conditioned your first response to pray. You're, you're, you're first responder to prayer. Then you begin to worship the Lord and thanking Him for all His blessings. And you've made your request and suddenly you just have this peace in your heart that everything is going to be okay. 
Why? Because God is in control. And it's that promise of peace that keeps you and I from giving in to worry. It'll guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In fact, that word there for guard is, is the word garrison, which means defense force. Paul was promising that when we pray and think and do as God has instructed us, then his peace becomes the defense force stationed at the door of our hearts and minds. The peace guard, keeping anxiety away, providing for us as a Christian the deciding edge when it comes to dealing with the pressures of the day. So you'll not only have the peace of God, but even better, we shall be protected by the God of peace. Again, this peace goes way beyond the understanding of the average person. It passes understanding. This means that it's a supernatural peace. It's a peace that Jesus promised his followers when he said this in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. One thing we know for sure is there little peace anywhere in this world today, but for the believer in Jesus Christ, we are the only ones that have real peace. I'm sorry. Are we okay? Testing one, two, three. A little bit of technical difficulties. Okay, we're back. Let me back up to what the verse I left off, what Jesus said to his followers in John 14, 27. He said this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14, 27. One thing for sure, there's little peace anywhere in the world today, but for the believer in Jesus Christ, we are the ones that have real peace. The peace of, of, of Christ that Christ brought and bought with His own body. Peace with God is what happens when we repent of our sin and come to Christ and are reconciled. But peace with God is not the peace of God. The peace of God is a peace of God's peace. It's a slice of, of His composure. His sense of invincibility, a sprinkling of His love. Let me tell you this. God is not up in heaven pacing back and forth going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm a little worried here. I don't know what I'm going to do. God is at perfect peace because He is peace. And nothing can rob you of peace because it does not come from our circumstances. Peace doesn't come from others around you or this world. It comes from God. We can't manufacture God's peace. It's the supernatural work of God's Spirit. We have this peace because of the assurance that God is our life under His control. He is continually working to accomplish His purpose. In the North Atlantic, I'm told there are these, these icebergs there, especially at wintertime. They can be quite, you know, floating around there. And at the same time, there are these ships sailing in the Atlantic that are often caught in these violent storms and these mighty vessels are tossed back and forth and, and you know, they, 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 they like to blow up like these rafts, little rafts on, on waves. It's just, just tossed around. But it's so different for the icebergs. You know, like majestic white castles, they glide peacefully, peacefully through the storms. They're, they're defiant of the mighty waves which are hurling against them. Why is that? Well, because, because only one-ninth of the iceberg is on top of the water. The lower part uh, is in the ocean where there is calm. And here's my point. Our lives are hidden with Christ. The storms of life are powerless to take the, away the peace of God from us. As Laura read 
this morning, Psalm 91, 1 tells us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We're told in Isaiah 26, verse 3, one of my favorite verses, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Yes, there are many things in this world that will steal our peace and create anxiety in us, but if we don't have peace, it's because we've allowed circumstances to lead us away from God and the peace that He offers. We focus on the wrong things and not of God, and as a result, we have distanced ourselves away from God. God has not moved away. We have, and it's time for us to draw nearer to God. I like what the late Warren Wiersbe wrote. He says, The world's view of peace is based on resources, while God's view is based on relationship. To be right with God is to enjoy the peace of God. In the world, peace is something you hope for or work for, but to the Christian, it is God's wonderful gift. Ninety-five times in the New Testament, peace is spoken of. I think God wants to make it clear that we are to live in peace, we're to have His peace. Peace or shalom means wholeness, completeness, health, security, even prosperity in the best sense. Jesus put it this way in John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Today, Christ offers the same peace to you. Do you have it? Are you listening right now with so many worries and cares upon your shoulders that it's almost overwhelming? And when you hit sign off, when you hit that button to close, will those burdens still be on your shoulders or are you going to turn them over to Jesus Christ? Remember, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He died on the cross for me. He shed His blood to remove our sin. He shed His blood to remove all doubt and all worry. He ascended into heaven so that we might have peace. Will you let Him take the burdens? Will you let Him take your worries and exchange and give you His peace? We're told in 1 Peter 5, 7, we should be casting all your care upon Him because He cares for us. We're told in Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Give your cares over to God because nothing is too hard for God. That's what God expects. As we close, I don't know where you turn in times of trouble. Some people turn to people. There's a place for turning to people. We all have friends and family, but, but you know what? People can let you down. Sometimes a person you trusted is the source of your problems. All of a sudden, that one you, you thought was your greatest, conf, greatest confidence now has become your opponent in some way, shape, or form. There, there, there's a place for people, but ultimately they can't meet your needs. No man, no woman is going to be able to do that for you. There are those in the world, they turn to alcohol. That doesn't solve any problems. That only makes things worse. Some turn to the government, but they too can let you down. Others just tune out and pretend nothing's happening. What you need to do is turn to God. Realistic, realistically take it and put it in the Lord's hand. We began the study with the title, Should I Be Worried? To the believer, we know the answer. It's a resounding no. But to the non-believer, the one who hasn't put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the answer is a resounding yes. You see, you need to understand that these verses we've been looking at this morning, they're for believers only. I really don't know how non-believers cope with what's going on in our world today. I don't understand how they can make it through when the crisis hits, when these, when these hardships come. What do they do? Where do they turn? 
Man, I'm so glad that God is there for me. I don't know how I could have gotten through many things in my life if I had to face them without the Lord. If He wasn't there, I know I would not have made it. But God has been with me. He's walked me through very many trials and hardest times in my life, and I know He will do the same for you. My question is, do you have that hope? If not, you can have it today. No matter where you're at this morning, if you're sitting in your living room, if you're sitting in an office, if you're sitting, you know, the anywhere in your kitchen, in your phone, in your car, if you're on your way to buy more TP, pull over. And listen, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't know for sure today that if you were to die, you were to go to heaven, you need to stop and think about what's going on in your life. God loves you very, very much. He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. For God to love the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do you have that hope of everlasting life? Do you know if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? I want to invite you to come to Christ today. It's as simple as just opening your heart to Him, saying, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it today. I repent of it today. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. I want to follow you from this day forward. You pray that prayer. And the Holy Spirit will come into your life, forgive you of your sin, Give you new life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You pray that prayer, you'll have that new life, and God will, God will do that work in your heart. Finally, for us that, that know the Lord, hang in there. Keep your eyes on the Lord, and He'll see us through this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You. Lord, we thank You that we don't have to worry. We thank you, Lord, that your word tells us to cast all our cares upon you because you care for us. And Lord, we want to do that right now. Lord, we want to thank you for being the burden lifter. Lord, we want to thank you for giving us this peace right now in the times that we're living in, a peace that passes understanding. And Father, we do pray for strength, for protection of all of our health care workers, all of our grocery warehouse workers, Lord, all of our grocery store workers, all of our truck drivers. Father, we pray for our nation. Lord, we pray for our president, President Trump, and our vice president, uh, President Pence. And we thank you, Lord, for them and, and the leadership that you have put into place for such a time as this. Father, we also want to pray for those that may have this virus right now, Lord. We pray for a healing for them. Lord, for those that may have lost someone through this virus, we pray for comfort and peace. Father, I also want to lift up our dear friends, Pastor Brent and Hope Harold and their family of Calvary Chapel, Rome, Italy. We pray for your continued protection upon them and blessing upon them. And finally, Lord, that you would use us, your church, to be a blessing to those around us, to be a hope, to point people to your son, Jesus Christ, who loves us, and cares for us, and died for us. And finally, Lord, I just pray, if there's anyone listening to this, who has not given their life to you, Lord, that they would make that decision today, and come to you in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you, and give you His peace. God bless you guys.